Welcome to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Every week, I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, or producer, and we talk in depth about one of their fave genre films, maybe one that influenced their own work in some weird way. And today, I'm real excited to have writer-director Nia DaCosta here with me. Hi, Nia. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. <laughs> uh, Nia came here from uh, New York. She's visiting to L.A. for a while, so yeah. we get to catch you. Yeah, I know. Um, it's nice. The weather's nice here. It's beautiful so here. Exciting. For all yeah. those podcast listeners, you know, over <laughs> on the East Coast right now, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are not as familiar with Nia's work, please let me give you an introduction. Nia was born and raised in New York City, so it's not surprising she chose to go to film school at NYU's Tisch. She started her film career paying her dues in production on the documentary series Kesha, My Crazy Beautiful Life, while writing and directing shorts like one from 2013 called Night and Day, which tells the story of two siblings and an estranged husband spending time together in one intense night. Nia also wrote and directed projects for the stage and new media platforms, but in 2015, she took an early draft of her script for a film called Little Woods to the Sundance Director's Lab. There, she hooked up with Tessa Thompson, who read for the part of a woman named Ollie, who's caught in a poverty trap in rural North Dakota and must decide whether she'll re-enter a life of crime to help her pregnant sister. Little Woods was supported by the Sundance Institute, by New York Film Festival Artist Academy, the San Francisco Film Society, and the Time Warner Foundation. Tessa Thompson continued with the project, and Nia then cast Lily James to play her sister. The film premiered in 2018 at the Tribeca Film Festival, with Tribeca calling Nia, quote, this is a good quote, this is the one you got to put a tattoo on your body, oh, a name you're going to need to get familiar with. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shortly after that, it was announced that Nia would be directing the quote-unquote spiritual sequel to Candyman off a script penned by Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld, which will be released by MGM. But you can see Little Woods, like, now. now. Yeah, please go see Little Woods. Where uh, is it playing? Uh, in L.A., we're playing at New Art, and in New York, we're playing at Village East, then we're moving to the Roxy, um, and like many other cities that I can't exactly remember right now. But so check your... Yeah, check your local listings. Check your, that, I, you know, that? I, I was going to say, I was like, is that a thing that people have to Check your have? TV guide. And... Yeah, definitely check your TV guide. <laughs> Ask your Jeeves. And um, and is it uh, doing any VOD stuff after that? Uh, well, but we're having um, a theatrical window, so not for a few months. Okay, yeah. so definitely get to the theater now. Mm-hmm. Little Woods. Unless you listen to this in the UK, it's going to be out on the UK, I think, Actually, I'm not sure. I think also in April, but that's VOD. Yeah. Also, the title's different, but I'll wait until oh, that's Oh, what's a... the title? Oh, my gosh. It's called Crossing the Line. Crossing the Line. Um, we do have some UK listeners, okay, so... Okay, cool. So, but maybe it won't be that, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Crossing the Line. It's because in the UK, there's a, um, a clothing slash, like, sort of Target's kind of store called Littlewoods. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, I'm, like, so upset by this because I, like, <laughs> like, we were, uh, it was a whole thing. We were just like, I was like, oh, no, Okay. Um, yeah, so it's like a whole other movie, basically. Um, it like, looks like a whole other movie, actually, in the UK. But it's crossing the line. It has Lily James and Tessa Thompson. And it has the same plot as Littlewoods. It is the same movie. Yeah. Most, it is the same movie. Yeah. Um, Nia, the movie that you chose today mm. uh, to talk about is Alien. Yes. Alien is a perfect film. Tell me. Tell me a little it, bit about uh, why you chose this as your fave genre film. Um, I think honestly, because it's, it, I think it's a perfect film. I, um, I'd watched it when I was younger and I fell in love with it. And, um, and then I recently, not recently, but like last year saw it in theaters for the first time at mm-hmm. the quad in, in New York. And, um, it's just stunning. It's just like such a good film. It has such great characters. They're all very simple. And like, there was, there's definitely a risk when you have a movie like this, which is basically like kind of a, a horror film masquerading as a sci-fi film that mm-hmm. the characters will be really flat and it'll be just a bunch of gar- jargon and mm-hmm. really silly. But you have these characters who feel really real, like working class, like people who work on a ship. Yeah. And um, you're, you're hitting on something I love about it. Working class people yeah. on a ship. They're all like smoking, drinking coffee, talking about their bonuses. You know, like it's all very like, it feels so grounded and real. Um, and I, I, I personally don't really like the whole like shiny future vibe of like sci-fi films. Yeah. Um, I really love when it's gritty and dirty and like realistic because like we live in 2019, but like if you look at our like submarines and our our like ships, they don't look like shiny new. That's just not going to be shiny. Exactly. No. If you're on the subway in New York, it's not shiny and new, you know. So it's like. <laughs> no. um, so I think it's just realistic, um, and then it's just so fun and like Ripley, of course, by oh. Sigourney Weaver is like the first sort of like you know I don't know just like wonderful female lead of a movie like that she's 
so dynamic in a way that you don't necessarily, you, well, you, at the time, I don't think for sure you saw in, oh, in genre God. films like that. No, no. Yeah. And we're definitely going to get into some discussions about that, too, because mm-hmm. there's a whole reason why that was so new and why they were doing it. But for those of you who haven't seen Alien before, today's episode obviously is going to give you some spoilers. Uh, that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch, as always. My motto It's not what happens, but how it happens that makes a movie worth watching. Still, if you would like to pause this and watch Alien, (laughs) this is your chance. And now you're back, so let me introduce (laughs) Alien. (laughs) I know, exactly. Like, woo, quick uh, time lapse. Woo. Um, Quick synopsis here. Mm. Written by Dan O'Bannon and directed by Ridley Scott. Alien stars Sigourney Weaver as Warrant Officer Ripley. She's part of a seven-member crew, including Tom Skerritt's Dallas, John Hurt's Kane, Yafet Kato's Parker, Harry Dean Stanton's Brett, Ian Holmes' Ash, and Veronica Cartwright's Lambert. First off, that fucking cast. Okay. Insane. They're returning to Earth on the space tug Nostromo when the ship's computer wakes them up after hearing a distress signal. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. What? Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. What? Yeah. She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. A transmission? Out here? Yeah. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS? I don't know. Human? Unknown. It's company policy to respond to signals so they land on a nearby moon and sustain damage to the ship. Kane goes out to explore the planet, and and a creature breaks through his helmet and attaches itself to Kane's face. They bring him back to Nostromo. The creature detaches itself, and the crew discovers it has corrosive blood. Don't say anything like that except uh, molecular acid. Must be using it for blood. It's got a wonderful defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it. All seems well. They lift off. But Kane is eating in the mess hall when some crazy shit bursts out of his chest and kills him. The crew tries to track this baby alien that came out of there to kill it. Brett follows the cat Jonesy. Jonesy, my heart. Brett Brett follows the cat Jonesy into a supply room where a now-grown alien attacks and kills him. Dallas goes in the air ducts, but the alien ambushes and kills him. Lambert is like... We need to get the fuck off this ship because she's very smart. We'll proceed with Dallas's plan. What? And then don't blight the others? <laughs> no, you're out of your mind. You got a better idea? Yes. I say that we abandon the ship. We get the shuttle and just get the hell out of here. We take our chances and just hope that somebody picks us up. The shuttle won't take four. Well, then why don't we trust Trust? I'm not going any straws. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now. Ripley finds out Ash is an android acting on behalf of the company to bring the alien back with them, and the company's fine if they all die. What was your special order? You read it. I thought it was clear. What was it? Bring back life form. Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. That's a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat, all other priorities are ascended. Parker burns that android dude up. Surviving crew then gear up to escape in the shuttle, but Parker and Lambert are attacked when they're collecting supplies. Ripley activates self-destruct of the Nostromo, has to get past the alien to, the alien to get on the shuttle, and barely escapes alive. Ripley thinks all is well. There's a lot of all is well and all is now well. Mm -hmm. She takes off her clothes, prepares for stasis, but that damn alien has curled itself up inside the shuttle. One of the best jump scares of all time. Oh my God, I love it so much. Ripley opens the airlock door to flush out the alien, but it holds on and she has to shoot it with a grappling hook, but that just means the creature's being dragged through space and then she incinerates it by blasting the engines. (sighs) Ripley and little Jonesy breathe a sigh of relief and put themselves in stasis for their journey to Earth. So great. Ah. I'm like, while you're saying it, I'm like, re like watching the whole movie in my head. I'm like, yes, yes. Can we take a second though? Yeah. And talk about how good Veronica Cartwright is at hysteria because like like that and like Witches of Eastwick. And she's just like hysterical in both films. Also, yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers too. Oh my God, yes. Because she's hysterical oh in that God. one too. She's so good because like. 
I feel like it's so easy to be like shrill and like annoying, but you're yeah. like, she has a reason to be hysterical. Shit's happening. But like, yeah. it's so grounded and believable. I fucking love her. Yeah. It's one of those things. I just, I like her in these kinds of horror disaster kinds of films mm. because she is a kind of spark of reality that mm-hmm. of um, what the audience should be feeling. Yeah. It's just a nice, it's, it's nice so great. This isn't there. normal, guys. Like, yeah. it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, I would love to get into. Because you were mentioning, you know, how these characters are so, um, they're kind of rich, even mm-hmm. though there's not there's not that much to them, but they're, yeah. they're fairly rich. And I want to talk about how Sigourney Weaver came to mm. Ripley. She said, I felt the role was going to be a tough one. All the characters and relationships in the film were written very loosely, and the casting people were trying to choose actors who would bring an individuality to the role. As a matter of fact, after I read the script, I came back and they said, well, what do you think? And I told them I felt that the human relationships all seemed very bleak. I thought it was best to put all my cards on the table because if they really wanted a Charlie's Angel, I knew it wouldn't be right for me. But they were the first to admit that it was going to take a lot of development and close working together. So they ended up really developing these roles with the actors. Yeah. I think that's the, like a really great way to go. Um, I personally like like to have a lot more on the page for the actors to go off of. I mean, I think yeah. I think Ridley Scott's a fucking maniac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I yeah. mean, it worked. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked, which is amazing because there are times when that definitely doesn't work. Um, but, like, when I was casting Little Woods and, like, thinking about Tessa and yeah. Lily, a lot of that was casting people I thought were really smart. Tessa in particular, I was just like, she's really smart. Like, could write and direct if she wanted to, you know? Um, Really knows character, really knows how to make a character human. And from what I had on the page to, like, what we built together over the years that she was a part of the project, we came up with this lead character was, like, who's really, I hope, dynamic and Mm -hmm. um, and that you kind of fall in love with and also are annoyed with but also want to see her succeed. Um, And I think that's really the best way is, like, building with your actor. So I'm not surprised at all, like, with the cast that they had for Alien that they were able to, like, create these really dynamic people even if they feel like yeah if on the page they were a little flat yeah i mean each each one of them is none of them feel to me like uh too similar from the other ones i look mm-hmm. at um for instance um uh yafet kato and mm-hmm. uh, harry dean stanton yeah. who are paired together as mm-hmm. these kinds of grunt workers yeah and they fit together so well in these interesting ways where you just want to I want to hang out with them like I would have seen a short film with just them hanging out talking about this stuff yeah just like I want to know what their bonus structure looks like you know what I mean like I just love that (laughs) they they have the same exact complaint but like the energy from both of them is so and like Harry and Stanton has such particular energy and like um it's just really seeing them together just so it's wonderful yeah so I mean I'm uh I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more um did you Continue. You continued reworking your script for Littlewoods when mm-hmm. you got uh, Lily, Lily James on, or did you have her? Lily was on. Came on when we were on prep. Really? Um, yeah. So um, that was a really difficult role to find the right person for. Um, yeah, because we need someone who's really strong and like who was a lead. You know, um, I think some people got a little like scared of not being the lead um, in a weird way. But when Lily, when I told Lily what I wanted and, and the fact that I'd seen her on stage and wanted to like sort of um, exploit the darkness I'd seen in her, yeah. which I told her, I think terrified her. But I think she's up for that. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, pretty much. She's like, oh, okay, you know. Um, but yeah, she just come off of doing the Darkest Hour, and I think like she wanted to do something modern and and with more depth and her, you know, taking the, the, the lead a bit more. Um, yeah, as much as I love the, mm. the ABBA musical right, yeah. stuff, I, I do, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Tess and I went to go see it. We we're like, yes, Lily, we we're like texting her afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> your tan was amazing. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. No, yeah, those were so fun. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the fact that Ripley was written as a male character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we we know that now, but yeah. it's it's hard to even imagine it at this point. But yeah. um, it's a really funny thing where when Sigourney Weaver came in to do the audition, she was told to smoke because the male character mm-hmm. smoked. And apparently she had just done a workshop at the public theater and um, she had to smoke like Humphrey Bogart. So and funny. so she got a cigar and, and during her audition for Alien and she started smoking like Humphrey Bogart. And That's they were so like... Good. Like, cause she was trying to be a man, and mm-hmm, she like didn't mm-hmm. know how to be a man, mm-hmm. and and they were like, no, we actually don't want that <laughs> no, <thank> at you. <laughs> all. <laughs> and so it turned yeah. out, you know, like her having these like somewhat you know feminine attributes was something mm-hmm. that they were actually interested in, right? Yeah, which I found fascinating. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so. Um, it's so interesting because there's like such a 
such a binary like with characters like that where it's like are you a man or a woman are you a woman acting like a yeah. man or you know um where she's just like could have been played by a dude in yeah. the same way yeah honestly um but the way we think about what men and women should be like you know especially in the 70s is yeah. so like it's so strict yeah um so it's like really wonderful because i feel like there are more characters like her more women characters like her because of what she was able to do in that film so she kind of created a whole new prototype for w- what a w- woman could be like yeah um, which i think is really fun i mean um, yeah. yeah terminator linda oh hamilton gosh, would not have yes. been and now we've got the new Linda Hamilton coming yeah. out, too. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah, I mean, she has this kind of, um, she created a new kind of femininity, mm-hmm. which embraces a kind of, like a sexy non-binary in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. It's just like, it's so, it's so, um, it's, I don't know, it's just so great. You're like, watch her, and then like, you realize, like, if you watch it not knowing anything, like, you've, which is hard, I think, now to not know that, oh, Ripley's going to be the main character, but it's not until, like, I think more than 30 minutes into the movie that she makes that choice where you're like, oh, she's sort of the, the lead of this movie now. Yeah, they, and they kept yeah. it, a, because they, the marketing didn't tell anyone mm, anything. So they crazy. kept it a surprise that she was actually the main character. Yeah, because everyone thought would think it was, uh, what's his face, Scarrett. Yeah, right? yeah, everyone thought it would be Tom Scarrett, yeah. yeah. And then when he's like one of the first to go, they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people understood, you know, like this is her first film. This is mm-hmm. not something where they were like, oh, obviously she's going to be the right. one to survive. It's, right. That was not, you know, any no one no one expected that right, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious for your film Little Woods. You mm-hmm. have Tessa Thompson is she is portraying a kind of character that I remember from like living in Idaho and mm-hmm. Michigan, where it's a very kind of tough woman who wears very kind of burly clothes mm-hmm. and is still seen as a woman by the man, by the men, but she has to be tougher mm-hmm. than that. And I think that's an interesting dynamic that you yeah. have for her. How did Tessa adapt to mm-hmm. to that? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I think we kind of found that together. A lot of it was, like, in the clothing um, and then in deciding, like, how she would dress and how she would wear wear her hair and if she wore makeup and all these things. And, and for a character like her who was really just focused on surviving and taking care of her mother mm-hmm. and keeping everything together um, and having to scrap for everything. It, like, everything was utilitarian, we decided. We just yeah. decided, like, the clothes are, like, will it keep me warm? Will it last a long time? Um, hair, is it out of my way? Is it out of my face? You know, makeup, absolutely not. <laughs> like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not to suggest that people who are that busy and, like, struggling are, w- would all make those decisions, but I think for what she had to do in particular, where she's, like, sneaking into, you know, Canada and doing yeah. all these things. She has just no like, time. No time. Um, no time at all. And um, which contrasts with Lily, who also is struggling and has her thing, but, like, for her, um, or Deb, Deb, played by Lily, um, for her, like, you know, she still wears makeup and she does, you know, like, pr- she's very presentational, but part of that is because her job is she's mm-hmm. a waitress and she has to look cute for tips, and which is a whole other fucked up thing that, you know, but... Um, but it, feel, but yeah. it feels kind of, it feels natural in the way that Sigourney Weaver isn't fucking decked out in makeup exactly. in this. Like, yeah. she's wearing a jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. Or for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she, like, takes off her clothes later on when she's, like, yeah. getting ready for bed. But Sigourney Weaver always saw that as, like, mm-hmm. a natural thing. Not necessarily, like, like for the sexiness of it, but mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, it's like a snake shedding its skin. Yeah. You you want to be done with things. Yeah. I don't know. When I get home, I like to take my pants I off. I take my bra off immediately uh, yes, when I get home. exactly. It is right? amazing. Like, when I get home, what I realize has actually been making me uncomfortable throughout the day. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, I actually want to take off all my jewelry and my bra and, like, my pants, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, but I, I completely, I love that scene and the fact that she's, just, like, strips down and, like, and also, like, you can see, like, her ass crack in that. Because yeah. it just feels so realistic. You're just like, yeah, she's alone. She's not going to be worrying about the male gaze right now, you yeah. know? Even though, like, for us as viewers, we're like, why did they do that, you know? Yeah. It's, but it's really, it's It's yeah. a weird thing because they had to cut the, the beginning scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to shoot it in a different way. And I think that would have made people maybe less sensitive about kind of like the sexiness of nudity. Because mm-hmm. in the opening scene when they were woken up, they were all supposed to be buck naked. Oh, man, So yeah. every single person, you know, like Scarrett, Yafet, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, yeah. all of them just kind of like naked and utilitarian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it yeah. would be like, oh, I guess. In the same way, like Starship Troopers has mm-hmm. scenes like that, which yeah. people know of Starship Troopers is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah. I guess it's just nudity. So it's it's a mm-hmm. I think it's a different way of presenting it. No, for sure. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about um, the infamous chest bursting scene, yes. um, about uh, directing styles. Um, all of that. We'll be right back. Hi. 
it's Ali Kokesh, one of the cast members of Mission to Zix, a new addition to the Max Fun Network. We're blown away by the welcome we've received from Max Fun listeners, telling us you've discovered the show and are binging it hard, supporting us during the drive, and just being rad humans all around. Mission to Zix is an improvised, obsessively sound designed sci fi comedy epic following a group of ambassadors as they explore the ass end of space. I play Dar, the 12 foot tall omnisexual security officer with furry scales, chest talons, and a series of flaps and shoots that are for. Nah, you know what? You'll figure it out. We'd be delighted if you joined our crew aboard the aging sentient starship, the Bargerian Jade, as we travel the Zix Quadrant, meeting all sorts of weird aliens played by brilliant guest comedians. That's Mission to Zix. Z-Y-X-X. Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Nia DaCosta. Hello. And we're talking about Alien. <laughs> okay, so, uh, chest burst scene. I guess yes. we should just get burst to right it. into it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. So, so sorry. <laughs> um... I, I think it's interesting. So Sigourney Weaver is not a um, she's not a, a sci-fi horror any person like that. She's mm-hmm. like far too sensitive for it, which is mm-hmm. hilarious because she is she's now an icon. Of yeah, it. she's an yeah. icon of it. But she had a really really difficult time filming that scene. She mm-hmm. said, "What affected me most was uh, uh, why John Hurt was lying on the table with his this false body because they they had it so he would be lying on the table and his." body was Mm. down below. So most of him was underneath the table and there was a hollow cavity that the baby alien was supposed to come out of. Just to see John not whole was upsetting to me. But by the time it actually came out of his chest, it was especially awful. (laughs) Plus, I knew that the special effects men were trying to rig the blood so that it would hit me. I was absolutely green. There had been a huge vat of kidneys and livers and intestines floating around on the set for two days, and the stench was awful. All the cameramen were covered with blood. By the time we had been filming for two days, it was just awful. So That sounds amazing to me. I'm like, yes, practical effects. Like, so good. Uh, and it's, I mean, the practical effects in this, it's, they're everywhere. Yeah. And they're masterful. Mm. But this scene in particular is just so beautiful still. Yeah. It is still, I mean, parodied and lampooned and, you <laughs> yeah. know, but it's it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. I just... <laughs> I feel bad for everyone that the camera people were all covered in blood. She was waiting to get splashed with blood. Right, yeah. You know, it's just a it's a strange thing. And I have to ask, you know, like in your time as a director, mm. you're also preparing to do Candyman. Yeah. There's going to be blood, Nia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of blood. Yeah. <laughs> Are you looking forward to this blood? A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm, I really love practical effects. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from like when I realized I wanted to be a director, it was all through films like these and yeah. other films in the 70s where, like, you kind of had to do it practically. Yeah. And honestly, like, when you watch movies now, like, those are the effects that stand the test of time still, yeah. and it's been, like, 40, 50 years. Um, so that's, like, that's a, that's a, was my education, basically. Yeah. And then with Candyman, like, I, and with horror and genre in general, like, I don't want anything, I don't want the audience to be like, oh, okay, splatter, like, CGI blood. Because it's easier to do CGI blood. Yeah. Because it, the cleanup is easier. You can shoot faster. But I hate that moment when I'm in a theater and I feel like, oh, this is so real. And then I'm like, oh, like that's movie, movie, yeah. movie. And you take yourself out of it. Exactly. In the and I think with that scene in particular, you're just like, oh my gosh, like that's happening. That's a real tactile thing. This is yeah. real splatter on their faces. That is real blood oozing onto that shirt. And, and that's absolutely something I want to um, create when I do Candyman. Um, I, I think. <laughs> I think it takes a special kind of person to be like, yeah, I want to fucking play with oh my blood. God, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm right there with you. Um, it is, it's uh, practical effects in this, you know, like that took, I would say, so much of the time. Mm-hmm. The fact that um, when Ridley Scott was doing interviews around the time of yeah. uh, the release of this, and he had only done um, one movie before this film, mm-hmm. The, the, the Duelist. Duelist yeah. And, um, so people were kind of unsure, you know, mm-hmm. they were excited, you know, because he was like the hot new commercial director who came into yeah. film. But he was also saying that pretty much every single day, like a door just wouldn't function or open <laughs> or some stupid little effect just wouldn't work. And they would just be standing around for hours yeah. waiting for it. And that's the I mean, that's the part about filmmaking that I don't think people really talk about. It's almost like like when you give birth, like when when um, when people with vaginas give birth and like (laughs) uh, then there's like a 
pain that happens, but then you immediately forget the pain. You're like, yeah, sure, I'll do this again. I was wondering about that because I asked my mom once. I was like, mom, is like, was having a baby the, like the most painful thing that you ever experienced? And she goes, hmm. And she like thought about it. And I was like, you have to think about, like, what, uh, what could be more painful than that? And it's just like, I feel like this is nature's way of saying, just forget what happened. Yeah. Have more. Propagate the species. Yeah. You know? There's like a yeah. little chemical in your brain that's mm. like, it wasn't that bad. And you're like, well, I don't know. If you look back at that time. Yeah. I think that um, like we should get into the idea that Ridley Scott mm. shot his own work. Yeah. And he was his own cinematographer and mm. editor and director. He kind of took a step back in the writing. He let Dan O'Bannon and mm-hmm. um, uh, Walter Hill actually came in and did some character development on mm-hmm. it, too. And um, Shusett, uh, I can't remember his first name. But uh, he did everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was like very hands-on and selecting mm. who he was going to have working on it. But he was shooting his own work. That's wild to me, yeah. I mean, now we have, you know, P.T. Anderson's doing that. We had um, uh, Alfonso Cuaron do that. Yeah. And like, but it, it is actually not very common. It's not. And I think, I mean, even with P.T. Anderson and Alfonso, like they had like lighting consultants and they had like actual DPs there who were yeah. not shooting it, but like being like, oh, well, like, like very advanced gaffers, you know. Co-director of photography like yeah. Alfonso Cuaron had, yeah. you know. Yeah, like yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a lot of work. And it's like to also direct and be because, yeah. I mean, a DP basically is ahead of a department, you know. Yeah. They have all the like the, the gaffer, the grips, everyone under them. And um, and the director is like the head of the department of the movie, you know. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I it is. I'm, it's so impressive, and like, and I love Coron and PT Anderson so much. So I'm like, oh, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like maybe I'll do that one day, but I, probably not, like, because I really like actually having that relationship with a DP and something and good can come out of that collaboration. Yeah. Though you know, I think letting letting someone else kind of get in and mm-hmm. break your bubble and ask why. You 100%. know, hundred percent. That's the asking why is like the best part of that, like making movies. Can you share any times of when you've had a collaboration where someone asks you why and you kind of rethink? Oh, for sure. I remember one day we were shooting, Tessa um, came to me with the script. She goes, hey, so like this doesn't track, like this line. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I have to rewrite the whole scene? Like, oh my goodness. (laughs) And she was like, or I could just say blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, Yes. Okay. Great. Perfect. And I literally was like having in the middle of a breakdown. Like, oh my god, I have to write this scene. I have to shoot it. Like, we only have this location for a day. Like, uh. and like that kind of stuff happens a lot. Or like really nice moments where um, I'll be with the DP and we'll like kind of go back and forth. So I'm like, okay, I want to shoot this like overhead. He's like, yeah. What if we did like you know like at a 180 degree angle? And I'm like, cool. Like, what if we like moved her down like here? So like we're going back and forth and creating a shot together. And mm-hmm. it's like this really nice thing where, yeah, what he wanted or what I wanted by itself would have been fine. But what we came up with together is actually really great. Yeah. And it, like because it's filtering through both of our like checks and balances and yeah. also just like both of our feelings about what we're shooting. It's really nice. Yeah, it's I, I think that a, a lot of people don't maybe they think that collaboration is just like two people butting heads, but often mm. it's two people asking each other questions. A hundred percent. If it if it's going doing if you're doing it the right way and, yeah. and you get rid of ego, which I think is the big the first step really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um um the alien, mm. amazing. <laughs> the alien is uh is pretty wonderful. Uh, so good. Should we talk about maybe the alien and, and... Geiger and like this everything about? <laughs> so <sighs> it's so impressive. I love uh, creature design, um, and I get really into like how do they do it? How was it built? Like I, yeah. I'm obsessed with like, the animatronics in Jurassic Park, for example. Oh, God, I'm yes. in love with like all of Geiger's like concept drawings, and I'm just like, and also <laughs> the how. Like I'm like, does this is this guy okay with like sex and genitalia? Like he seems a bit traumatized about yeah. these things, you know? He's like, like having a good time with yeah. it, you <laughs> yeah. know? Oh my god, that's your Geiger voice. Oh, that's the way. I, it's not at all how he sounds, but that's like how he looks to me when yeah. he's doing interviews or when he was doing interviews. Yeah, right. R.I.P. Mm. Um, I <laughs> this was this was actually Giger's first film, mm-hmm. and um, I I can't. Like, of course, this uh, people now know about uh, Horowski's Dune and mm-hmm. how he was supposed to be doing that. Yeah. But I just find it fascinating that, like, this is his first film that doesn't feel like all of a sudden he reinvented effects and he reinvented yeah. design and character design. Mm-hmm. And and he he made it more terrifying. Yeah. It's 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 insane to me that that was his first film. So I have a quote. I want mm-hmm. to make sure I found I found the quote from mm-hmm. here. He said, quote. Of, of the alien. It is elegant, fast, and terrible. 
It exists to destroy and destroys to exist. Once seen, it will never be forgotten. It will remain with the people who have seen it, perhaps in their dreams or nightmares, for a long, long time. Perhaps for all time. I even dream about <laughs> the alien myself so much that I am often frightened of going to sleep. Oh my gosh. What? Like, yeah, I love it so much. This is like the... like. The article, God, who did like Star Starlight Stargate? I can't remember. There's mm-hmm. a there's a sci-fi magazine that did mm-hmm. a huge, huge profile on all these dudes mm-hmm. for the making of, and that was a quote. And they were like, <laughs> "That's a pretty big boast before anyone has seen yeah. what you fucking yeah, done." Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, no, it's re- but then it like totally happened um, I also like it's like that's also like the end of the quotes like if you were friends with them like are you okay like should we <laughs> oh my god you're afraid to sleep because of the things you create from your own mind like you know what I mean like I get so stressed out like filmmaking so like hard and you like are inventing all this crazy stuff especially yeah. if you do a horror movie like I'm finding right now like my brain is oriented around horror and like mundane yeah. horror and like everyday horror because I'm trying to figure out the best way to scare people so like just living my life being alone in a house I'm like are you taking notes on shit are you like no like more like my brain oh I mean yeah if I come up with like oh that might be interesting like you're kind of just scare. cataloging everything that you see where like that is scary but to also me. I'm like manifesting things like I'm in this house in the hills I'm just like well okay like maybe there's someone in the backyard I don't know what's that sound you know everything is terrifying oh, yeah. because that's what my brain is oriented towards right yeah. now so I'm not surprised that like you know he's created this thing amazing thing and he can't sleep because of it like like what if because what if it's real (laughs) what if it just comes out yeah no it's like so it's so dynamic that creature i uh, and the idea that there are three different versions of it Mm -hmm. you know i think that that's also very risky too is the Mm -hmm. fact that they they really decided to go from a tiny baby um they've got a face hugger i can't remember Mm -hmm. what they they had names for all of them Mm -hmm. And I had them written down, but they have names for all of them. It's, you know, like the face hugger, the chest burster, the, mm-hmm. you know, all the way up to, you know, the big. The big guy. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. It's the work was so difficult for Giger that they had to um, he would just design them and they would have to give the fabrication and things to someone else. Like someone mm-hmm. else had to do some of some yeah. of the design stuff from yeah. what he did because he just couldn't keep up with it. Mm mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really love is that um, Ridley Scott realized that he wanted something to be different, like fundamentally different about the Earth-based people Mm -hmm. and um, from the aliens. Mm. So what he did is he had two different um, production design and art direction teams. That's so wild. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I feel like they would never let you do that now. Like, I guess unless you're literally Ridley Scott, but... No, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's pretty hilarious to that they were okay with it. I mean, this is a guy who yeah. only had, like, one, but he kept pushing, like... I, I should say that, like, the reason that he got, you know, whatever the budget that he got, which I think was only, like, 8.5 when it came down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a lot. Actually, let me read this. He was told that $4.5 million was the, the budget that he was going to get. So he ended up going back home and he drew storyboards for every single key sequence because he was an artist Amazing. himself. You know, he yeah. went to art school. So he he said, quote, I felt, obri- I felt obliged to do storyboards. This was prior to the employment of any of the several artists who were later um, contributing to the visual concept of the film. We originally told Fox we wanted $13 million and they nearly died. <laughs> then we came back with the storyboards and asked for nine point five million and we said 17 weeks of shooting that was totally objected to we negotiated and finally arrived at 8.5 million in 13 weeks incidentally it ended up taking us 16 weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> i find that that's the other thing that i find amazing about like shooting back then I mean, I mean it still happens now people going over schedule and over budget but i think maybe because i come from the indie world it's yeah. like no like you just absolutely not like yeah but studios are so different which i'm learning now actually yeah but, um, I, I love that it's like you have to get what you need to make the movie because it's going to make money, especially if it's a, like a whore. Like, it's so annoying to be like, I don't know. Like, what's one more million when you're going to make like 70 times that? Like, <laughs> truly. So crazy. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. I think like what I what I like about what he did is that he put in the work to be like, I need you to see my vision mm-hmm. and you need to understand that my vision is very different mm-hmm. and it's going to be like going to blow everything up in Hollywood just to be like convincing them and I gotta say I would love to see whatever storyboards he did I don't know if any of them ended up 
you know, actually making it mm-hmm. in, but kind of bringing it to life for, for the like the executives, the yeah. money people, I think can sometimes be so helpful. There's 100%. only so much that you can put on the page when it comes to a script mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. And knowing that you're going to execute it as a second time film director. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I'm in the same position as Ridley. I've only made one movie. And oh, my God. <laughs> you're Ridley oh God. Scott. I'm, I'm Ridley Scott, guys. Are you going to go home and storyboard all of the key sequences? It's actually the... funny. That's literally what I'm doing. Is it? Over the next couple of weeks, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> so are you working with um, a concept artist then right now? Or? A storyboard artist, okay. yeah. And then we'll get a concept artist. I mean, mm, we'll see. We'll see. But right now I'm working with storyboard artists because conceptually I'm pretty, 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 I know pretty much what's going to happen up yeah, here. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I also think that storyboarding helps with another thing, mm. and that is uh, shooting for the edit. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so I should bring up a little bit about the edit because it turned out that you know because he, Ridley Scott was also editing his work so too I definitely don't do that either <laughs> uh, I mean there were other people working on but yeah. he was definitely editing it um, mm-hmm. and he said quote when we wrapped we were right up to the date on editing I was able to show a cut of the film to Fox eight days after we finished shooting absolutely crazy Every time we showed any of it to Fox and they came in continuously during the film, we had to go through quite a sophisticated tap dance to make it look polished, even though it uh, was using dummy music tracks and things. Yeah, still but- do that, yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Eight days. Eight days? It's one thing if you have a, an editor on while you're shooting. Yes. If it's not you. Yes. Like the idea of like shooting and then editing and then like eight days later being like, boop, there it is. Like... It's like completely crazy to me. Yeah, for yeah. for a film this size too. I mean, because I can yeah. see also for smaller films, we'll say like 100%. a million or under. You mm-hmm. know, um, because yeah, you're assembling footage and you have a good idea of what you think is going to happen yeah. and how it's going to look because yeah. you've planned and prepped for it. Mm-hmm. But also less weeks of shooting. Yeah. Also not shooting like and cutting literal film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about um, authenticity in the sets and a little bit more about some of the actors. Okay, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we're the host of Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up, Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode, we cover a different episode of The Simpsons that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus, I passed! And we've also had people that are on the Max Fun Network already. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons, but I mean, like, you can't say that about a lot of of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point have been on the air for 14 years. Find us on MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Smell you later. Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Nia DaCosta, and we are talking about Alien. Like I said, I wanted to get into authenticity of the mm. sets, too. And uh, the production designer, Michael Seymour, said, we must have spent thousands of pounds, uh, British pounds, Mm -hmm. on scrap from old jet aircraft engines particularly. And it's paid off handsomely because of its authentic look. And apparently what they did is all of those dials and switches and buttons on that ship, they all have a genuine function, apparently. That's so crazy. Isn't that, that's, it's amazing. Like, uh, apparently some of them start uh, lights flashing, others open doors, some ring alarms, others control the 40 television screens that they had um, positioned at the bridge set. Mm. Um, and I find that amazing. And there's a, a, the whole thing, an intricate console commanded by the video coordinator, Dick Hewitt. Oh my gosh, I love that. Is it? Yeah, I mean, so great. everything is functional. That's so special. That like makes like I think also like that's something I re- I'm really attracted to as well in terms of the actors having something to actually interact with. Yeah, like we're not doing theater, you know. It's like give them something they can like give them a real world. Give them things, buttons they can press that actually yeah. like depress, you know. Like yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. I mean, it's like it's fine for Star Trek. Star Trek has been doing the press buttons whatever for like a long time, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like give them something, yeah, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially yeah. because of this, you know, what we were talking about, where these are kind of just blue collar workers who have to like they're grunt mm-hmm. people who are like, oh, mm-hmm. I gotta do this thing, I yeah. gotta do this thing. So like it does mean something yeah. that there's an actual function yeah. happening in the set. There's also like this great not great, but like I was just like when I was watching it again, I it's so simple, but it's just like when Dallas is like um like he like it's like 
early on in the film, he like opens up, presses a button, a thing opens up. He takes out this like sort of disc thing, and mm-hmm. he puts in another thing, and then so, and you're just like, I don't know what that means, but he's doing stuff, and it looks like it means something, you know? Yeah. And it, like actually, like things are interacting. You're like, okay, this is a functioning ship, not just like a set that we walked onto, yeah. you know? And I think that's so important for the audience. Yeah, the uh, and you know, like we were saying, it was important to them that there was an authenticity of that junk, that it looked mm-hmm. like equipment that had been used mm. in other things. So that's why they were just going to the junkyard. Yeah. You yeah. know, they just wanted any old shit that looked gritty and dirty and yeah. used. It's it's so great. I, I'm just the blue collar workers talking about rights and stock mm-hmm. options and shit. I just love that shit it's so, so much. It's so good because it's like very realistic. Like who realistically is going to be the people who do those kinds of jobs yeah. in the future, you know, if that's what the future looks like. It's like, yeah. I uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the characterization and the people coming in and making, mm. you know, these characters come to life. Um, Ridley Scott said that one of his favorite parts about the script was, quote, characterization um, in the attitudes. And mm. in, in the it was a very Spartan choice of language and what they talked about. Like the first conversation after they wake up, it's about shares of stock in the company. It seemed to me a very natural, very human kind of character painting. And so, uh, I mean... He he imme- he was on the second that he heard that that was what it was about. Yeah, he's like, great, I love it. Yeah, just like mundane shit. It's so I think it's so important to like, for me in particular, like I love creating character and relationships through dialogue and through just how people talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and so of course, like it makes so much sense for that to be. Oh yeah. What makes you feel like oh this is real for sure? Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about before how Ridley Scott had to kind of convince the studios how to Mm -hmm. do things with storyboards and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, he said that working on this kind of level, he felt, quote, every step of the work had to be justified in my own mind or to other people, absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And it became a kind of stressful thing, but it also made him a more sure filmmaker because if he was feeling justified, like every choice that he made, if he could find a justification for it that rang true, Mm -hmm. then he felt he could sell it to the studio and he felt it was also the right direction for the film. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I feel I'm very similar, actually, in that way. Like, especially like with this, like doing a studio film. It's my, yeah. you know, my first one was drama, and knowing that I have to like fight against the impression that I will just end up making a dr- drama as opposed to a horror film. Yeah. But like everything that I want or ask for, like I have to feel like I'm justified to ask for it. Everything that I want to do, I want to be able to show that, which is why I'm like starting storyboarding soon. Like, yep. And I feel like for me personally, like when I'm when I'm sure that I'm that I'm right about something or that I'm sure that I do need something that I'm asking for, then I can fight about it until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Or not fight, but, like, I can argue for that until the end of time. And if someone says no, then it's, like, cool, but, like, you know, we can make this movie out of 10, not getting that means that we're making it out of 9. Yeah. You know? But as long as we're all on the same page about it, then, you know, that's sort of how I... So that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, I think it... I mean, of course... When you when you get more experience, right, and let's say you've got like like mm-hmm. four or five studio films, yeah. maybe they don't maybe they don't need that kind of justification. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. But also, I feel like that's still helpful as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be a reason why you're doing 100%, yeah. everything. Yeah, people I shouldn't think... stop asking you why you're doing. One hundred percent. No, yeah, and I think that's what I love about like the people that I tend to work with, and in particular the Monkey Paw team right now. It's like, like Jordan's brilliant, and like he is. I, I, you know, like I hate the word genius because I feel like it's so reductive, but like yeah. he has a genius to him, you know, and he's so good at what he does, but he also has a, like a company and a team of people and producers mm-hmm. and creative execs who like challenge him, you know? And I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, how exciting. Like, because I think sometimes people get like left to their own devices if they have like one hit. Like, okay, cool. Like you do whatever you want. But yeah. like, that's so not the case. And I think it's so rewarding to like still be in a space where people are asking you why and people want to know, like really fight for the best version of an idea. And, um, um, Yeah. I'm just, I forgot what I was going to say, but no, that's you, basically it. <laughs> you should feel justified. Yeah, yeah. No, it just makes you a better filmmaker. Uh, I want to get into um, something that is a little bit more mundane in the mm-hmm. side of filmmaking, and that is the terror of inserts and close-ups. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we talked too much about. Um, they they had to do a lot of inserts and close-ups, obviously, for this, and mm-hmm. shooting took place long after um, Ridley Scott said, when Ripley's hand is on the destruct fuse of the Nostromo, that's really Ripley's hand, but it was shot five months after we'd wrapped and torn the set down. <laughs> I know it's pretty much standard procedure to do your inserts that way, but it's murder to go back over old ground. Yeah. Like the egg stuff. That was all done later at Bray, all the close shots, the process of recycling yourself is what's so terrible about it. That I can't. I've never done reshoots, but that's a very studio thing to do. It's just yeah. like reshoot stuff. 
again, like, because I come from the indie world, like, where the money is, like, this is it. You're not yeah. getting more money. The to, footage like, that you have is what you're going to work that, with. Yeah, 100%. And, like, and to be fair, other indies have reshot stuff, but I didn't have that <laughs> that privilege. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it seems very, like, everyone's moved on and, like, people work, like, especially with actors. Like, they're on other projects and everyone's, like, moving on with their lives. And mm-hmm. it's the idea of having to go back and get an insert is Oh, my crazy. God. Try, and trying to convince them that, like, mm. hey, we need you for your hand. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Tessa, I know that you're working on this, like, <laughs> Avengers movie or whatever yeah. you're doing right now, but, like, can you your hand. your hand? Yeah. Tessa's this? actually a really good hand actor. Is she? We, made a, we had so many jokes about this when we were shooting. Why? She's How great is she good? hand acting. I don't know. She just, she has very expressive hands. Like, <laughs> our producer Casey is laughing. <laughs> so funny. It's true. It's so funny. We just, like we called it hacting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just really funny. Like, how did you, you know, discover this? When we were doing inserts, like she's just like like you know like there was there's like the shot where she has to like um delete something from her phone and she's like has to decide whether to do it. I don't think this actually that's in the movie but like she has to decide whether to do it and she's like and her hands are just so expressive you know like, like oh <laughs> or like God. when she's like about to kind of go back into the business it's like we have this overhead shot of her hands and she's just deliberating but you don't see her face you just see her hands deliberating and you're just like oh I feel this tension you know like it's really funny (laughs) acting 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 (laughs) I'm now I'm gonna like whenever I watch her in movies I'm gonna end up just watching her hands <laughs> maybe our listeners will start yeah, yeah. what and then i don't know i don't want her to get yeah, look at the cover of the vanity fair article the, i think the hollywood issue yeah and her and elizabeth debicki have like their fingertips are touching yeah and i was like i was like of course she did like because she's so good at hand acting like hacking man it's all there <laughs> the, the signs are there so. yeah and elizabeth debicki was just vibing off of it oh and they were just like yeah i'm obsessed i want to put the two of them in a movie like i'm obsessed with the two of them like the two, oh my God, both of them are having just constant, interesting movie mm-hmm. things happening. Yeah. Elizabeth Debicki and Widows. Yeah. Oh, loved her in Widows. We were just talking about Widows earlier before we started recording. Oh my gosh, too. she's so good. But Tessa Thompson, that her choices are very interesting. No, they are, yeah. It's, I mean, it's so cool. You can get your money with Avengers and then come off and do something like Little Woods, which yeah. is like a, a small kind of poignant drama, you know? Yeah, that's, it's like exact opposite thing. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I love it. We also had Tina Mabry on the show, too, oh, cool, and yeah. she was in, um, she was actually in Tina's first film. Right. Oh, my gosh. So, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you said something about this earlier, and I thought I'd go into it. Um, I think that Sigourney Weaver was very worried that she would never be able to leave alien behind and i don't mean mm-hmm. that in a way of like her career mm-hmm. but she was worried that she wouldn't be able to leave the nightmares behind she said <laughs> alien is a film about such terror and loss that after you've been working on it for a while well i'm not sure how far i ever got away from it and i did have one odd nightmare once it was so strange i dreamt i was visiting some people up in vermont in a farmhouse and all of a sudden the alien came out of the chimney i know it sounds real silly it was a film and suddenly i was dreaming about my own life you would think it could only happen in space but if you start to dream about it coming out of your air conditioner or something, mm. it puts a whole different reality to it. Oh my goodness. Because yeah. the thing is that Ridley Scott actually uh, withheld the alien from all of them. Oh he wouldn't God, let them so see any of the alien until it was their time to interact with them. Oof, that's terrifying. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. He wanted he wanted their reaction to be genuinely horrified because it was horrifying to see them. Mm-mm. There's... um. Uh, like for Harry Dean Stanton, for instance, he has that beautiful scene. And he like goes yeah. in the supplies, and there's like you know something is there, oh my God, yeah. And that look that he gives. But the thing is that like they did all of the acting up to that point, and then they took him out, and then they brought the alien back in, mm-hmm. and then they had a cut where they could insert where he would react after seeing it, and yeah. he was like fucking terrified. <laughs> That's so good. And that reaction shot of him is so good. Yes. Like, it's, like, so... Because he had never... I mean, yeah. imagine. These actors had not seen these before at all. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and, like, this is... All of a sudden, they're on set, and you're like, oh, my God, this is what we're... I love that. ...battling? Like, we did not know. Yeah. Um, and it does... You know, it obviously doesn't look like any other alien that has ever been put into film either, yeah. so I would be very... I would be genuinely shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I... It's really weird, like, when you think about, like, how... Like when things are their first, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh yeah, like no one would have seen anything like this before, yeah. which is so exciting. But how do you, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around it. You know, like we're mm. talking about how interesting it is that Sigourney Weaver was the first to do, you know, uh, like to be this this heroine in a mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi horror film, you know, mm-hmm. and no one knew her. Yeah. 
can you go back to a time when no one knew fucking Sigourney Weaver? It's so crazy. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah, a time before Ripley. It's like, don't know what that means. No, no. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I think if we put it in terms of like your career too, you know, like Candyman, when Candyman came out, yeah. that was huge. Yeah. It was a Chicago story. It was a black villain. Mm-hmm. And that was like, we just had not seen it before. Never seen it before, yeah. Yeah. But now we live in a post-Candyman world. Yeah. And it feels like maybe there are other options. Yeah, I know. It's really, yeah, it's so crazy because when I talk to about people who can't, to people about Candyman. Um, one, like, everyone has, like, different opinions on it, which is so funny, like, different, like, what they got from it and how you can, like, read into it if you, like, would write an essay about it or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so many great essays about Candyman. Um, but then it's like, oh, yeah, like, of course, like, there was a time when we just weren't a part of horror films unless we were being murdered, you know? Like, I mean, it was, like, Night oh, yeah. of the Living Dead is, like, you know, the, the black protagonist in that, and you're like, cool. But then, you know, you're just, like, looking at your watch, waiting for the next, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, actual story that, like, involves black people and blackness in, in the horror space, and mm-hmm. so... And something um, from a studio, too, that has yeah. maybe some money behind it. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. this is, like... Because, you know, like, there were definitely, like, some independent films that would be made, yeah. a lot of, you know, um, obviously, like, the rich exploitation Blackula, right. which yeah. we're going to be talking about about on the show too oh, amazing, yeah. and you know like there's there's some great gems in here but yeah. there was like this there wasn't a studio who was putting money into it and it was just yeah. like everyone is a wide release this is gonna see it yeah like, you know like everyone's gonna see it it's really interesting that like because like even with like black exploitation which like always wasn't always good no. exploitation you know like, no. <laughs> and so you're list it's it was interesting and also i mean you can argue like the representation of like this black villain in Candyman isn't great either. yeah exactly but um but what you have from that is like this really rich tapestry from which you can kind of pull yeah um um and like and recreate in a way which is really nice yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's it, it's a great opportunity I'm, i mean yeah i'm so <laughs> i'm so stoked because i loved Candyman as a kid and yeah. like it's so a part of my like horror education because i love horror and yeah um and it's just so cool to to be able to do it to do that and to do a studio did film. you have to come into monkey yeah. paw and just be like i know horror <laughs> I, I mean, in a way, I kind of did. I mean, I, I had this big presentation that I, I gave, and um, I really just walked through, like, all the things I love about horror and, mm-hmm. and how I would represent horror and, like, all the, the elements of it that I think are useful and um, and wonderful, and and, um, and in particular how I would approach the script that I read. And, um, yeah. We're so excited. I'm so I can't wait. I'm so excited. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to come here today and talk, chat with me. me about Alien, one of my favorite movies. And again, Little Woods, people can see it in markets across the country. Mm-hmm. And you're if yeah. you're in the U.S., yeah. wait, look for the U.K. title. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, the, the UK, crossing the line. Crossing the line yeah. is the U.K. title. Yeah, and then um, keep an eye out also for VOD in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for coming Thank you, on. April. Thank you for listening to Switchblade Sisters. You can see Nia DaCosta's latest film, Little Woods, in limited release this Friday, April 19th. If you like what you're hearing on Switchblade Sisters, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we'll read it on air. No new reviews this week. It's not a big deal. But if you really like the show and you feel like doing it, leave us a review because I love talking and hearing my own voice, reading your reviews. Uh, I love being embarrassed by uh, anything that you say about me because it is inevitably embarrassing to me. If you want to let us know what you think of the show, you can tweet at us at SwitchbladePod or email us at SwitchbladeSisters at MaximumFun.org. And please check out our Facebook group. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash SwitchbladeSisters. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org. No, you're out of your mind. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.